because I want to move right into the teaching because Pastor Tim just so beautifully talked about the love of the Father. So, Ken, I'm just going to give a little preview first, okay? Um, Last week, I talked about grace. I talked about the amazing gift that Jesus purchased for us through his passion and his death and his burial and his resurrection. How all of our sin was remitted. That means that it was eliminated, it was canceled, it was let go of. So that we became the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. We became righteous. We really focused on the Ephesians scripture, chapter 2, verse 7, that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own works. Then we really looked at how that relates to healing. Because we receive healing by faith in God's grace, the same way that we received our, our Jesus as our Lord and our Savior through faith in his finished work. So last week we talked about grace. Today and for the next couple weeks, the message title is Enter His Rest. Enter His Rest. Because what we're going we're gonna to answer a question. It's in that box on the top of your handout. The question is, then how? That's a, that sounds simple, but... You need to tell me how. How do I do that? How do I receive this amazing finished work of grace? How do I receive that through faith? God's answer, his simple answer, that we're going to be talking about for three weeks, is rest in the belief that his grace is enough. Rest in the belief that his grace is enough. And the the add-on is that Our works don't mean anything. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to do everything just right. Jesus did everything just right. He finished the work. So our part is to rest in the the faith, the belief, the confidence, the trust that his grace is enough. And now I want to give you a prophetic word from my spiritual mama, Pastor Tim's wife, Fran, she gave this word years ago, and it impacted me in a big way, and I've never forgotten it. I wrote it down, and I'm giving it to you today. This is from Fran to you, and this is the word. When you work, I rest. This is God speaking. When you work, I rest. When you rest, I work. So today, we're going to do a couple things. The first thing I'm going to do is to go to the Bible and show you the scriptures that talk about the rest. That's the first thing we're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is to look at one powerful way to enter that rest. And it's through what Pastor Tim and I already shared, through passionately fervently coming into that place of communion or relationship with Abba, your father, and receiving his love. So here we go. We're going to start with Hebrews 
And I'm going to read a verse that actually isn't going to be on the screen. This is Hebrews 3, verse 19. Very last verse of Hebrews chapter 3. It's talking about the Israelites when they had been um, freed from bondage of slavery and they were in the wilderness, but they hadn't yet reached the promised land. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is a scripture that talks about that. It says, so we see that they, those Israelites, were not able to enter into his rest because of their unwillingness to adhere to and trust and rely on God. Unbelief had shut them out. So we're going to be talking a lot about trust, about trusting in God. But now I want to continue with the very next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. So that first verse, that first verse gives us an amazing promise. And that is that the promise of entering his rest still holds and it's offered today. That's speaking to you. That's speaking to me. If you are in the middle right now of a healing journey, I love to call it a healing journey. If you're needing healing, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your soul, whether it's in a relationship, no matter where it is, this promise is for us. In the midst of that time when maybe you haven't yet seen it move from the spiritual realm where it's done into your natural realm, this is a promise. The promise for entering his rest still holds and is offered today. But then there's a warning. And it's the same warning that the Israelites are, are going to show us as we read the scripture. And the warning is that we need to be afraid to distrust. Let me reverse it and say it in the positive. It's very important for us to trust. To trust in God. And then verse 2, I'm going to continue. For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God, proclaimed to us just as truly as they the Israelites of old did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. I'm going to stop and pause again. So we have the good news. We have the gospel. The gospels are called the good news. And the good news refers to Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the one that um, has delivered us from bondage. When we believe in Jesus, when we receive his sacrifice, we're delivered from bondage. It's part of the amazing, huge gift of grace. We talked about it last week when we talked about remission of sin. That remission of sin means deliverance from bondage, deliverance from the imprisonment that sin held us in, deliverance from the barrier that was between God and us, God and mankind. That's no longer there. We've been delivered through the gospel of Jesus Christ when we believe and receive it. But notice it says, we have that good news proclaimed to us just like the Israelites of old did. They had a promise. Now their promise was a shadow of what our promise is. Their promise was also to be delivered out of bondage and into the promised land. Our promise has been completely fulfilled 
through Jesus. But I'm going to start after the semicolon with the word but. So they had this good news. We had the good news. They had a good news. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it wasn't mixed with faith by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. So they had a promise, but they didn't trust God. They were looking at all of the problems. When you read the book of, of Exodus, you read all of the problems that they had, and they were, they were almost to the point where they were ready to go back into bondage. They said, why did we even do this? Why did we even come out? They were complaining, they were murmuring, they were grumbling, they were complaining. They weren't focused on the promise. They were in a place of distrust and not trust. And they weren't united in faith with Joshua and Caleb, the two that did trust. In the whole thousands, multiple thousands of people that came out of bondage in Israel, there were only two that trusted I'm going to try to tell the story in a short version. It's not a story. It's a biblical account. At one point, Jesus gave them the promised land. He told them about the amazing land, the land of milk and honey, the land that was theirs. They decided to send out 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to go ahead and check it out. They were the the ones that were the spokesperson for everybody else. Well, 10 out of the 12 came back with fear. They saw the, the, the bad instead of the good. There was both there. There were giants. There were, there were a lot of people to overcome, a lot of kingdoms, a lot of tribes, a lot of people to overcome. That's what they saw. That's what they focused on. They called them giants, and they called themselves grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing. But they chose to look at the promise. They chose to look at the promise, the good stuff, the beautiful uh, land to, to receive from God, that promised land, the land of milk and honey with crops that grew richly and beautifully. They came back believing God and his promise. And they're the only two that received it because they trusted God. Now, out of all of those thousands of people, they all died out in the wilderness during 40 years, except Joshua and Caleb. Now, the new generation, the new children that had been born, went with Joshua and Caleb and, and became the, the Israel. They became Israel, the, the, um, and they received the promised land. Okay, now I want to read verse 3. For we who have believed, we who have adhered to and trusted in and rely on God, we do enter that rest in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter when he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. So in this verse, um, there is a, 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 there, God is showing us what happened with the Israelites. He, he promised them the promised land. He promised them rest. 
but they didn't trust him. So they didn't get, they didn't enter the rest. Even though the work was done, his works had been completed. The promised land was prepared. I'm reading Genesis right now, and I am absolutely awed by how many times the promise is repeated. The promise is given to Abraham. God spoke face to face, mouth to mouth, mouth to ear with Abraham. Abraham heard the Lord give him the promise of the land, of the many, many descendants that were going to come from him and his family. And then the same promise was given to Isaac in a miraculous way. And then the same promise was given to Jacob. And it was repeated to those men over and over and over again. And they repeated it to their families and repeated it and repeated it. So the work was ready. It was prepared. It was waiting for them. God, I don't believe, planned on that journey taking 40 years. I think it was supposed to be like a 10-day walk. And it took 40 years. The work was ready. Now, when we apply that to us, Jesus' work is finished. It's completed. It was planned before the foundation of the world. Our part is to rest in our belief in his finished work of grace. So I have a, I, I don't remember what I put in your notes. Did I put the, jog, the blog post? Yes, I did, a little bit of it. So coincidentally, or God incidentally, because Holy Spirit's been stirring this message in the, in the people of God. In fact, I didn't tell you this, but God gave me this message when I was in Israel. I, was, I don't remember when, when I was in Israel, but in the midst of Israel, he spoke to me about teaching on rest. Didn't give me any details. I just felt a need to teach on rest. So this message is by Joseph Prince, and it's a January, um, um, uh, it's part from his blog from the month of January. So this is what he says. The promised land was a land of rest where God promised his people large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses, which you, um, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant. That's from the Deuteronomy book, chapter 6. But even though they had that promise, for 40 years God's people wandered in the wilderness because they refused to believe that God had given them that land, where everything had been prepared. They refused to believe that the work was finished. They couldn't, believe them that, they couldn't believe that God had given them a land full of good things to enjoy, a land which just flowed with his abundant supply. Today, today there are believers who still cannot believe that the work of Jesus is truly complete and finished. They're trying to complete a completed work, finished a finished work, and defeat a defeated devil. Many times, I've done this, guys. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me too. Many times, our own works, our own works with God, take precedence over God's finished work. Our focus is on us and our walk, and our journey, and our this and that, and the next thing with God, instead of God's finished work. There are believers today who are always working and trying to produce their healing. God wants us to stop trying 
and start trusting. Trusting in his love for us. He wants us to stop working and struggling and start resting and believing in his grace toward us. Okay, I'm going to go to the next slide. So this is another Hebrew scripture. It's starting with verse 9. This is from the Passion Translation. So we conclude that there is, a, there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. That's good news. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. So there's a promise that that rest is still waiting for us. It's waiting for us to experience. And it says, as we enter into this rest, this faith rest lifestyle, we cease to do the works. We cease from our own works, like God did when he created the first day of creation. He, he created and said, it is good. And he did that the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He rested. And he's given us the same ability to rest. But our rest isn't a rest from work. It's a rest in his finished work. It's a partnering. God partners with us. He has called us to stand in whatever that calling is. We have authority. We have power. He calls us. He directs us. But the issue is that we try to do his work too. (laughs) He's, He's called us. He's directed us. But then we're, we're to let him take his part over and not do it for him. We're going to talk a lot about what that looks like today. We are to trust in him to do his part. I want to go ahead with Hebrews 9.11. This is the same scripture, but it's with, from the New King James. And it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That word disobedience is often translated doubt and unbelief. The word says, be diligent to enter that rest. That sounds like a contradiction. It says to enter the rest, to cease from your works. But it says, be diligent. So let me explain it. The part that we're to be diligent in, the part that we are to be all in, passionate about, where we're to put our efforts is trusting God completely. Being dependent on him instead of doing everything on our own and being independent. And being submissive. Submissive means we yield to God instead of the, the default of the world. So we are to be diligent to enter that rest, trusting God, being dependent, and being submissive. Okay, so practical, practical application. What does that look like? 
The rest of this teaching, I want to focus on one thing. The one thing that Pastor Tim is going to be focusing on for the next four months. The love of the Father. Passionately and fervently coming into relationship. Coming into a place of trust. Coming into a place of knowing the Father's love. Listen to this scripture. This is from the Message Bible. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Is that beautiful? I just felt heavy anointing on that word when I was reading it. I want to talk about the two parts of that, that scripture. First, the first three questions. Are you tired? Worn out? I saw all these girls giggling. Like, that would be me. <laughs> Burned out on religion. That's the self way of living. That's, um, uh, and especially the third question there, burned out on religion. That's trying to do everything and taking, taking control, being independent, even in your faith walk, even in your journey with God. Having a to-do list saying, I did this, I did this, I did this, God. Why haven't I seen? Why do I feel tired? Why do I feel worn out? Why haven't I seen the results? I'm doing all of this stuff. It's called, that's legalism. That's religion. That's having a set of rules that you think you have to follow. It might be a, a, might be a list of church rules. It might be a list of rules you made up for yourself. But it's still religious. It's still Legal, legalism. Maybe you have a list of um, practices that you follow. Religious practices. I lived my first 43 years like that. And I didn't even know the difference. I was like a hamster on a wheel. Running, 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 running. Checking everything off my list. Doing, 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 doing. And getting tired. And getting worn out. And getting burnt out. We have a pastor friend who ministers to other pastors. He's written a book called Pastor Disaster. <laughs> the reason he ministers to other pastors is because they've become burnt out. I would, I would guess, this isn't his book, this isn't his teaching, this is Cindy and this word. I would guess that the reason a pastor would get burnt out is because of religiosity. Because of following all the rules. Because of not having the next part, which is deep, intimate, passionate relationship with God. Because we will rest when we're in that place, no matter how busy we are in the natural. I lived 43 years one way. Independent. self 
motivated, uh, working, working, working hard, full of stress, full of strife. My priorities were completely skewed. God was nowhere near the top of my list. Work was first. I was a workaholic. My family, my, my husband, my, my marriage was second. Other stuff, material stuff, taking care of the house, doing the shopping, doing the taking upkeep of life was probably third. Finances, all that stuff was on the list. God was way down at the bottom. I had a very, very big job in my first career. But then I came to know Jesus. And everything changed. I still had the same life. Still the same job. I still had the same things to do. But I did them completely differently. And I did have this rest. You can live a really busy life with rest. You can live a really intense, packed, full life in the rest of God. Let me read the rest of the scripture again. And I'm only going to read the, the parts that are underlined. Come to me. Get away with me. Walk with me. Work with me. Keep company with me. Did you notice how each phrase says, with me? God wants to do life with us. We're partnering. We're in commission. We weren't intended to be an island. We are completely united with God if we do this, if we come away with him. That's what changed in my life. Nothing else changed with, my, with the busyness of my life. But I started developing an amazing relationship with God and everything else changed. Religion versus relationship. I lived 43 years with just religion. And then I started to develop a relationship. And it wasn't anything, I'm no superhero woman of relationship. All I did was show up. That's all I did. My friend Jenny said, Cindy, spend time with God every day, read the Bible and pray. That took 10 seconds, five seconds to say. That changed my life. Because I did. I started to read the Bible every day. I started to crack this book I'd never read before in my life. I started to talk to God. It wasn't a ritual. It wasn't legalistic. It wasn't like I prayed the same thing every day. I just started talking to God. I just started entering into that place of, I use the word communion. And I, sometimes that can be confusing because when we think of communion, we think of taking the, the Lord's Supper. But communion is oneness, communing, a community, togetherness, fellowship. It's beautiful. It's sweet. And I started to have that with God. And I have never wanted to turn back. So when I started, there was only one, I only had one thing on my agenda, and that was I needed healed. Because when I started all my walk with God, I started with stage four cancer, and I wanted to get healed. That was my, that was my um, reason. And when Jenny said, spend time with God every day, read the Bible and pray, my motive 
was I needed healed and I'd do whatever it took. I couldn't do anything in the natural. There was no hope. So it was like, okay, I can do that. God took me by surprise. (laughs) Because when I came seeking healing, I found the healer. And then when I found the healer, I got so much more than just healing. Yes, I got healing. I received the gift that Jesus paid for, but so much more. Everything is, everything has been enriched. Everything from my marriage to my parenting to my friendships to, oh my goodness, my church family, everything has been so deeply enriched. My, my relationship with my own family, my mom, dad, brothers, sisters, everything. I'm going to read a couple scriptures that um, just really give you a beautiful picture of this place of relationship with God. The first one is Psalm 91. I'm going to read two verses. Verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will remain secure and rest in the shadow of the Almighty whose power no enemy can withstand. Sometimes the word shelter is is translated the secret place. So I'm going to use those two words as I talk about this. He who dwells in the shelter or the shadow of the Most High will remain secure and rest. We're talking about resting today. So this key of dwelling in the secret place is big. Dwell means to abide permanently, consistently, to come and, and have an ongoing relationship with the Most High. The word dwelling in the shelter, that phrase is the most intense illustration of the very essence of a personal relationship with God. The secret place is the intimacy and the familiarity of the presence of God himself. Listen to those words. Intimacy. Familiarity. Have you ever thought of being having a sense of familiarity with God? Intimacy with God? So this, Pastor Tim, when you were talking about the first three words in the, the ironic blessing, it reminded me of what I'm going to tell you right now. This secret place, when we go, when we go to dwell, when we make the choice to dwell in that place, our Father's arms literally wrap right around us. He's waiting to connect with us. He gave me the, the, the word one day when I sat down to pray, first thing in the morning. I was, oh, I have to share this story with you. I sat down in my prayer chair and immediately... I was six in the morning. I wasn't even awake. I was like stumbling, right? I sat down in my prayer chair. All I did was said, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And the love of God completely overtook me, completely. I mean, it was, it was so huge and so tangible and so amazing that I just um, started weeping immediately. I mean, I just was a blubbering, you know, girl. And I sat there and I said, God, why? 
Why did you do this? Why did you just pour your love out on me like that? That big dose of love first thing this morning. And this is what he shared with me. He said, do you know how you love to FaceTime with your grandbabies? Yeah, God, I know. And he says, you know when you dial their number and, and you're waiting for them to answer and it says um, calling, it says calling Chad Cox or calling Kay Cox, and you're looking at your phone and as soon as it says connecting, you know that the next thing you're going to see is their faces. And I get so excited. And I said, yes, God, I know. And he says, I've been here waiting. I've been here waiting to FaceTime. I've been waiting here. I'm so excited. When it says connecting, I can't wait to connect with you. That's what we do when we dwell in the shelter. God's arms are open wide, ready to wrap us up with his arms. Now, sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. It doesn't matter whether we feel anything tangibly like I did that day. I don't feel that all the time. I wish I did, but I don't. But the truth is that when I go to the shelter, I am in a place of security and rest in the shadow of the Almighty whose power no enemy can understand. Now, this place, this secret place, I want to make sure I give you this right because it's so powerful. It is a literal place, but it's also conditional. It's conditional upon our choice to go there. You are not going to reside under the shadow. You are not going to reside in that place where the love of God is and you are connecting where you're in, and you're in communion unless you make the choice to go there. Unless you make the choice... To seek God. We are the ones to start the process. But the Bible says, seek him and you'll find him. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Remain in him and he'll remain in you. I'm going to read the second verse. Psalm 91 verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust with great confidence on whom I rely. The first three words on your paper should be underlined. I will say. It's so important to speak out loud of our trust. To declare that we trust God. To declare, God, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. I trust you, God. Whatever the situation is that you're in, no matter how big or how small, open your mouth and say this to God. God, I trust you. I trust you with this situation right now, whatever it is. Maybe you're going to have a test this week. God, I trust you when I go to have that scan. I trust you. Maybe there's a symptom that has risen its up, up its ugly head in your body. And you say, God, I trust you. I trust you and your promises and your word. With all my heart, I trust you. Maybe there's a problem with, with the person that you're um, having issues relating to. God, I trust you that you're in the midst of it and, and you're giving me wisdom and, and I, I do my part and I trust you to help me through this. Whatever it is, voice, verbalize, say those words. It's powerful. It's so powerful. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, this is one of my life verses. 
The verse says, lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart. I'm going to save the second half for, for just a second. The word trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart, means to lean on God, to lean on him for support. When you lean on something for support, the, the, your weight is transferred. When you lean on God for support with your problems, with your concerns, with your needs, the weight of that need is moved from you to him. God wants us to lean on him for support, to be confident in him, to trust him. He wants us to trust him with all our heart. But the thing that the world does is the second part. The thing that we do is the second part. It says, do not rely on your own insight or understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust in yourself. If you lean on yourself, then you have to carry the whole burden. What we tend to do, what the default of the world is, is to take God's part. And we try to do his work. We try to reason it out, figure it out, plan it out, work it out, set goals, make a list, make your phone calls, ask everybody under the sun, figure out the problem, and then go about solving it. And then maybe ask God, oh God, I need you. A little bitty prayer in the midst. God says, don't do the second part. Don't lean on your own understanding. I'm going to give you another addendum to this that makes all the difference in the world to me. I don't just not lean on my own understanding. I don't even try to understand. I give up my right to understand. I don't have to understand I literally put that out of the way. Let me give you an example. I went last week and prayed for a gentleman who is diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I don't know where he's starting. I don't know where he is in his faith. I don't know what's going on in his body. I don't know any of that. Didn't matter. I don't have to understand all that. I know the word. I trust in God. I trust in his faithfulness. I trust in his promises. I trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's where I lean. And I lean heavily. When I go and pray for somebody, when I pray for you, when I'm standing one-on-one -on -one and praying for you, I'm not focusing on you. I'm focusing on the finished work of God. That's what that scripture means. And let me tell you, it takes a burden off, so it's amazing. When that's lifted, and you don't have to worry about how it's going to get fixed, huh, it's so much easier. The burden is lifted. It's removed. Because you're giving it to God. You're leaning on him. Now, there's one little piece that I'm just going to share with you, because this is huge. And I, uh, this is a quote from somebody, and I don't remember where I got it. I like to give credit, but I don't remember, but it's so good, I'm going to share it anyway. The first part of the scripture talks about your heart, and the second part talks about your head. 
I consider understanding to be part of my intellect. At least that's Cindy's way of thinking. I, I always think of things really simply. So the first part of the scripture says, lean on God, trust in him with all your heart. And the second part says, don't lean on your own understanding. Now here's the quote. What you can connect to from your heart is so much bigger than what you can connect to from your puny little brain. If you put your understanding, your intellect, your reasoning, if you put your thinking first, you've reduced God to your size. God's so big. God's so amazing. We just need to let God be God. Yeah. So the essence of faith, we're talking about this entering this rest and trusting God. So the essence of faith in God's grace is this practical trust that we express in God and it's all based on who we know him to be through our relationship with him. Because you can't trust God that you don't know. You can't trust God unless you know he's trustworthy and faithful and good and loving. And the the word shows us that. So when you start to uh, come to know him through his word, through personal relationship, that becomes settled. And when that becomes settled, that's when trust happens and faith to believe is the result. Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly to the throne of your grace. There we will receive God's mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Again, coming boldly, coming freely to that place of face-to-face with God. And we can because there's nothing keeping us away. There's no sin barrier like there used to be. And when we go there, it says we'll receive mercy and we'll find grace. I want to define those words. I'm going to define grace first. Grace means that we get what we don't deserve. Last week we talked about grace. We talked about that immense gift. Jesus paid it all. He got what we deserved. There was this amazing divine exchange. He became sin so that we could not be sin. So the sin nature and the, even the acts of sin would be completely and forever removed from us. That's grace. We get what we don't deserve in every realm. Jesus came to give us an abundant life, blessing upon blessing, every spiritual blessing. But mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. So many times people don't come freely to God because they don't feel they deserve it. Well, you're right. The old person, the old creature, the old man didn't deserve it. But because we have been made righteous, we have been made perfect, we don't get what we deserve. Jesus got what we deserved. And now we are blessed. And healing is a gift. He wants you well. He wants you to have the full gift. He's got it prepared for you. And he wants us all to have it. In the Message Bible, the same scripture says, so let's walk right up to him and take what he's ready to give. 
take the mercy and accept the help. Awesome. Okay, I want to talk about one more thing, and that is receiving God's love. Receiving his love. Ephesians 3. I'm going to read one of the most familiar scriptures about the love of God. It's Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19. It's the scripture that talks about how deep and how wide and how high and how uh, long, I believe, how amazing, immense the love of God is. But this particular translation is called the Passion Translation. It's called a heart level translation. So instead of translating word for word, from the and that's good it's good to have word for word translations from the original language because that's very very um true to the word that was given to us through the holy spirit through the writers of the gospel or of the bible but this translation takes the the heart of the message and gives it to us so listen to this paul is praying and i'm going to pray this right now Paul prayed when he wrote it, and I'm going to pray when I read it. I pray that the perfect Father would pour out over us the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods our innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Wow. Wow. When it says that that we pray that our Father would pour out the unlimited riches of his glory and favor. That's grace. That's literally the definition of grace, the unlimited riches and favor of God. And our prayer is that he would pour it upon us. And as we receive that grace, supernatural strength from God, grace empowers us. Grace empowers us to receive. Grace empowers us to do. Grace empowers us to live. And that supernatural strength floods our innermost being with what? With his might and his explosive power. That's the word dunamis in the Greek. Dunamis is miracle working power. With the grace of God, we are literally infused with his supernatural strength that gives us miracle working power. Is that good news? Okay, now listen to this. Then, by constantly using your faith, we've been talking about trust that comes from knowing God, that comes with relationship. And as you use your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life, providing you with a secure foundation that grows and grows. So the love of God, friends, this love is a foundation. It comes and takes up residence within you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. God is love. Christ is one of the the, um, triune um, parts of God. Christ is love. He resides in us. The love of God comes and begins to grow and take up root. It is enriched. It is growing. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. 
And then listen. Then, as your spiritual strength increases, you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. That amazing word picture of the love of God is a key, huge key, to being in a place of rest in the midst of your battle, in the midst of your healing journey, whatever you want to call it. Romans 5, 6 and 8, 6 through 8. This scripture gives us a picture of how God's love was demonstrated. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and he died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless and weak and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. A couple weeks ago when I showed you the slides from Israel, there was such a sweet presence of of the love of God as we, as we saw pictures of the life of Jesus, of the places where he walked, the places where he ministered, the places where he suffered the passion and the crucifixion. And as we saw those and, and just connected in a, in a deep way, what we were doing was we were seeing, we were witnessing the demonstration of his love. Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying for us. About, I don't know how many years ago, it was shortly after I got healed, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. And we went to see it. Before we went to see it, we'd seen the the reviews. We had seen the news clips and stuff. So we knew what it was going to be like. We had, uh, you know, we we knew that it was going to be really, really hard to watch. We knew that it was um, very moving, and um, we'd heard a lot of the the reviews. When we went to that movie, I had just received my healing. And I remember making a choice that I was going to go and I was going to watch The Passion of the Christ, and I wasn't going to close my eyes. Now, I will not watch anything, any movies where there's blood or where there's violence or where there's anything like that. I won't. And if that happens in a movie that I am watching, I close my eyes and I plug my ears and I I won't watch it. But when I went to that movie, I said, I am going to keep my eyes open the whole movie. Because if Jesus could demonstrate his love in that way, dying for me, taking those stripes for me, I can watch it. I will make myself watch it. And so that's what I did. 
And it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I sat in that theater, wide, eyes wide open with tears, so many tears I probably couldn't see very well. But I kept my eyes open. And every time Jesus took a stripe on his back, I said out loud, Jesus, by your stripes, I was healed. Thank you, Jesus, for taking those stripes for me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much. And I wept and I cried, but I kept my eyes open and and witnessed what Jesus did for me. Because it just built in me more and more and more how much he loves me. How much he would do for me and for all of you. In 2010, eight years after I was healed of cancer, I had another huge scare in my physical body. Um, And I won't go into details um, except for this. I had another lump in my neck. And that was the same location where the original cancer had been. I had um, melanoma that had metastasized to my whole lymphatic system, including my neck. So when I had that mass in my neck, I had a lot of fear. And I, at that point, I knew the word about healing. At that point, I was teaching healing. I was having healing meetings. And here I was in front of everybody teaching healing with this huge issue. I never told the people. I stood on God's word. That's another whole story. But this is what I want to share with you. In the midst of that journey, God gave me two scriptures, and they were both about his love. The first scripture was from Psalm 91, again. It was the last two verses of the scripture. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read the scripture first, and then I'm going to read my personalization of the scripture. So here's how the the scripture reads. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and he understands my name has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness, trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So one day, as I was reading this scripture, God took that word, and he put it right in my heart. And he said, Cindy, that's you. You know me. You trust me. You rely on me. You know I won't forsake you. You know my love. You've set your heart on me. You know my name. And then all those promises in there. He said, that's for you, girl. I took that word. I was just overwhelmed with with God talking to me and then giving me these promises. So I took that word and I personalized it and I declared it. It was one of those treasures that just kept me strong in the midst of that journey. And this is how I spoke it to God, or this is generally how I spoke it. I said, Father God, because I've set my love upon you, therefore you will deliver me. You'll deliver me from this, this season of life. You'll deliver me from this, this fear. You'll deliver me from the stuff that's going on in my body. You will set me on high because I know and I understand your name. 
because I have a personal knowledge of your mercy and your love and your kindness. I trust you, God. I rely on you. I know that you'll never forsake me. No, never. I shall call upon you and you will answer me. You will be with me in trouble. You will deliver me and honor me. With long life will you satisfy me and show me your salvation. That word lifted me up and carried me through that season. He promised me. He promised me to deliver me. He promised me that he would uh, satisfy me with my, showing me the fullness of my salvation. That he would satisfy me with a life, with a full life. And it wasn't going to be a life that wasn't full. He says, um, let me read it again. Um, with a long life, you will satisfy me. With a long life. And I took him at his word. And when it says the word salvation in there, this is an awesome nugget. That word salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua. It's the Hebrew name for Jesus. God says he would show me Yeshua. He would show me the fullness of the salvation that Jesus purchased for me. The name Yeshua, Jesus' name, means salvation. It means victory, and it means deliverance. The other scripture God gave me during that season was also about his love. It was John 17, verse 26. Jesus is praying to his father, and he says, Father, I have made your name known to them and revealed your character and your very self, and I will continue to make you known so that the love which you have bestowed upon me may be in them, felt in their hearts, and that I myself may be in them. This is what I did during that season. I meditated on God's love for me. That's what carried me through that season. That's what enabled me to walk through that season steadfast in a place of rest in the finished work of Jesus because I knew his love for me, because I was in relationship with him. So there's a couple of suggestions here. The first one says to meditate on his love for you. That's what he gave me those scriptures. I didn't even go looking for them. But there are so many scriptures about his love. Let him speak to you of his love. Take those scriptures of his love and let them feed your heart. Secondly, and these are just little nuggets, his love has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who he is. You don't have to be perfect. His love is perfect. And then the third piece, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. So you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry if you're not... None of us are perfect. But you don't have to worry. You are worthy because of what Jesus did. So there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He doesn't love any of us more than the other. He loves all of us the same way that he loves Jesus. So we're going to watch a video now. In fact, driving over here, Pastor Tim said, 
Have you ever seen the father's love letter video? <laughs> I laughed. I said, uh-huh, we're going to see it tonight. So once again, that's the Holy Spirit just confirming. And, and we're going to close with this, and then we're going to go into ministry. So the rest of the scriptures are just for you to take home um, and to just meditate on. So we're going to go ahead and just sit back, receive the Father's love. This is a beautiful, beautiful expression. It's all scriptural. The man who, who put this together literally took this many scriptures of the amazing love of God, put them together, and is delivering it to you as a message from God to you of his love. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. Before you were conceived, I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. And brought you forth on the day you were born. been misrepresented by 
those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you. Because you are my child, and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. For I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. You are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd, carries a lamb. I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes.
and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Sometimes I think we, we, our, our impression or our thought is that our love is to be poured out to God, but it's almost the opposite. Like when we know his love, then we can't help but love him and trust him. I'm going to pray right now for those of us who haven't or feel like you haven't had the revelation of his love like that depth of the love that we're talking about the height and the depth and the breadth of his love you haven't experienced God thank you thank you or you haven't known it yourself personally or experienced it I pray for you right now Holy Spirit I pray that there is an out pouring right now 
of the tangible love of God with all of its depth and breadth and height and width that the summit of your love, God, would just be so great and beautiful that we would be, have a mountaintop experience. I pray that there is a, a release, a release and, a, and, a, and an acceptance of your love, released from heaven to earth and received here right now within our hearts. We love you, Lord. Where's Suzette? Suzette, I'm, I'm just going to ask you right now if you would share what happened last week when you experienced the love of God when we were praying. Would you just come here for a second? I was... Can't we check this mic? Okay, go ahead. I was standing up in the semicircle here when you were praying for the people with cancer, and um, Flo came up behind me while you were praying. And as soon as she laid her hands on me, it felt like they were about 250 degrees. I could feel heat coming out of those hands like nobody's business. And um, anyway, you... Um, finished praying, and I didn't want Flo to take her hands off yes. of me. I, all yes. I could feel was the love of God coming through her yes. hands like I've never yes. felt before. Yes. And I wanted it in a jar so I could take it home and like pull it back out. It was yeah. beautiful. Yes. Um, so I've never had that experience before. So Suzette has been uh, in relationship with God for many, many, many years. And last week, right here, she was literally standing about where she's standing now. It wasn't, it wasn't about healing of cancer, although God is the healer of cancer. But what she experienced was a love so big that she had never experienced that depth of his love before. And she experienced it right here through the laying on of hands. Is that awesome or what? Yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to pray for one other thing before we get into healing prayer. And that is for the winter stuff that's going on right now and how it affects hearts. With the ongoing um, darkness and cloudiness and rainy weather, etc., 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 I have heard numerous people today Talk about how that's been really difficult. My daughter was one of them. And my daughter's young and healthy. But she is one of them. And when she was talking to me, it was like, this is something we need to address. This is something we need to step up and step out and speak over. And so that's what I'm going to do right now. So I speak right now over our souls over our hearts, our minds, our will, and our emotions. I speak over our souls, and I declare that the darkness of the, of the outdoors will not take up residence in our soul or in our mind, in our heart or in our mind. 
that the, the dreary weather and the cold weather and not being able to go outside has no power over our souls in Jesus' name. I speak the joy of the Lord that resides within us, rises up, rises up, and we walk in the joy of the Lord. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter a lack of sunshine or warmth. It does not even matter the circumstances you're walking through with stress or illness or anything else or even pain. I declare joy of the Lord rises up and, and carries us strong. May the joy of the Lord be your strength in Jesus' name. And I give you the words, Psalm 35, what is the scripture? 35, 10. And it says that joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. First thing, when you wake up, before you even open your eyes, before you even look outside or think about what's going on in your day or the, the, the battle that you're in, say, God, I thank you. It's morning and joy comes in the morning. In Jesus' name, amen.